Welcome back to Lost in Citations. Today's guest is Lisa Hunsberger, a lecturer of English at the renowned Kyushu Sangyo University. Lisa, <laughs> welcome to Lost in Citations. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'm really very happy to be here. Great to talk with you as well. You, you're doing a lot of interesting things, which we'll get into towards the end of the interview. You seem to be very popular, which I'm a little bit jealous about, so I thought I'd strike. <laughs> I'd strike on your popularity and, and bring all your wonderful followers and downloads over to my world. This was totally selfish. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I'm so happy that you think I'm that popular, <laughs> but you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so the article that we are discussing today is creating great PowerPoint and keynote presentations and teaching students to do the same. This was published last year, 2020, mm -hmm. in the CNC Journal, which is the Computer Network Center Journal at Kyushu Sangyo, Sangyo University. I should be able to pronounce that, Kyushu Sangyo University. And... It's a great paper, which I really enjoyed reading, and it's something as academics and as teachers and as students, something we all need to do, and it's something that you have sort of made a name for yourself as a specialty, and I want to get into a lot of things, but let's, let's start with your background. Where did you grow up? So I'm from Jamaica, and I'm from the capital, Kingston, and I did all of my schooling in Jamaica from primary school all the way up to university. What was it like growing up and uh, going to school in Jamaica? It was pretty good. I actually had a decent experience. I think, well, most teenagers, you know, growing up with, growing up, going through high school, you have all that teenagery angst sure. that you go through. So high school was kind of, but I particularly loved my primary and university education. Those were the best. And in Jamaica, we, we have a bit of a different system than what we have here in Japan mm -hmm. and also what's in the U.S. because you have junior high school and in the U.S. it's, uh, oh my goodness, I forgot. <laughs> uh, you have elementary school, mm -hmm. then junior high school here in Japan, and then senior high school, and in the U.S., ah, middle school. There we go. Right. In Jamaica, we do not have middle school. You just have... Uh, Elementary school, we say primary, primary mm -hmm. school. Then it's high school, and you start high school at age 11, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And you start there all the way up to age 16. And we follow kind of a British system. And so there's an extra two years where we do what we call A-levels, advanced level courses. And then those two years are optional, mm -hmm. take you up to age 18, and then university thereafter. What made you interested in language learning? Well, my family is kind of a language family. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, my mom did her her undergraduate degree in, I think it was Spanish major and German minor. Oh, wow. And one of my aunts, she did Spanish up to her master's, and she also lived in Spain for a while. So my family is kind of big on languages. Did you specialize in language in your, was it secondary school? Seven in, to 12, seven grades, because Australia is grade seven to 12, but it sounds like yours is a little different. So I think it is seven, uh, we say first form, so, okay. but it does follow from grade six to grade seven. So yes, grade seven 
all the way up to grade 11, I, I believe see. 11 or 12. And yes, so I chose Spanish mm-hmm. in high school, but I'll be very honest, I I kind of coasted on by uh, because my mom and my aunt, whenever we went to visit my aunt, my aunt would always speak to my mom in Spanish whenever they wanted to say something mm. without me knowing what they were saying. <laughs> and so to figure out what they were saying, I was a very diligent student at first. <laughs> And was learning Spanish just so I could figure out what they were talking about. And then once I knew what they were saying and they no longer could have their secret language in my presence, I totally lost interest in Spanish, which, you know, much the heartbreak of my family. I lost an interest in Spanish. But when I went to university, I picked up French, not by choice. I was actually off on my my academic credits Mm -hmm. by like three points, three credits. Mm -hmm. And an academic advisor was like, hey, why don't you try French? And I'm like, French, are you kidding me? I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking, (laughs) are you kidding me? Like, this language is so difficult. Nothing is spelled the way it's pronounced. Like, I don't want to do French, but I, I didn't have any other option that was as interesting to me. And so I picked up French and I had beginner French Mm -hmm. every morning for two semesters from 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. Wow. Two semesters of French. And I remember I was so mad. I walked into the first class and I was like, oh, I cannot believe I'm here. And then in walked my French teacher. Mm-hmm. She just sashayed into the class. Bonjour tout le monde. On va apprendre français. <laughs> and she was so happy and bubbly and energetic and excited to teach us this language. And I was so impressed with her mm. that it, it completely, I, I melted, Jonathan. I completely mm. mel- melted. Well, that's, and, the, that's the opposite of me. Man, oh, yeah. I, I cannot bounce into a school as a teacher bubbly even at 10 in the morning. You got to give me some time <laughs> to warm up. <laughs> Jeez, what is she doing? Good coffee, I guess. Probably good coffee, man. It's that Jamaican Blue Mountain Pea Coffee. But <laughs> she she was so energetic. And every day, like, she came to school. And, and we had uh, French teachers from different places in... In, in in the Caribbean, I'm sorry, in the Caribbean, French-speaking Caribbean, and also in Europe. So we had a French te- two French teachers from Guadeloupe, and we had a French teacher from France, we had a French teacher from Germany, and we also had, like, there was an exchange program with my university and some university in France. Okay. I'm not quite sure where, but we would have visiting, we'd have, well, maybe not visiting, I'd say, I should say maybe each academic year, there'd be a new young French teacher Kind of like how we have ALTs, mm-hmm. same idea, but at my university. Is, and so we always had that experience. Is French the main second? Because in America, it's definitely Spanish. What, what What's the main second? Or is there such a thing in Jamaica? Is yes. It, or is it just multi, you know, languages? So I would say for Jamaica, so linguistically, and linguistics was really what I did. That was my major. Mm-hmm. And just a quick side note, I didn't start my university education with what I ended up graduating with. I started it off with computer science as my major wow. and linguistics as my minor. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling so hard with computer science. And I kind of realized, like, I did not like this at all. And 
when I thought about it and thought about my parents and them paying for my education and me coming out with mediocre grades, I was like, yeah, this is not going to cut it. Mm. And my mother was the one who was like, hey, why don't you do linguistics as a minor? I was thinking of what to do as a minor. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why don't you do linguistics? I'm like, what's linguistics? And she's like, ah, it's some English thing. She wasn't fully certain of what it was. Mm-hmm. And I did linguistics, went into the first class, not really knowing what to expect and fell completely in love. So I fell in love with linguistics, fell in love with French. And I made linguistics my major and then made French my minor. Mm. So for me, it was it was very unexpected, basically, having linguistics as my major and then French with as my minor. For people don't for people that don't know, can you give us a little bit of the lay of the land about the language use in Jamaica as far as the first, second, third, or other languages that are used there? Yes, absolutely. So from linguistics I learned that what we Jamaicans used to call bad English is actually a language and it's the Jamaican language. And so English is the language of education, it's the language of governance, it's the language of trade, Mm -hmm. and it's the language that we learn from elementary school all the way through to university. However, when it comes down to speaking, we speak in our Jamaican language most of the time, especially amongst friends and understanding the grammatical differences mm-hmm. between English and Jamaican, because the Jamaican language is actually a Creole language. Mm. And it's a Creole language whose vocabulary, the majority of the vocabulary comes from English. And so for someone who speaks these two languages natively, but hasn't been taught how to separate them, mm-hmm. to us, they sound a lot, they sound and seem a lot alike. But to someone who isn't Jamaican, it's a lot easier to pick up when if I, if I were to switch to the Jamaican language, it would be very easy for you to pick up because you would not understand what I'm saying. But I would so understand you, everything? You would not. Be I able would to not. Understand. Okay. Yes. You may hear one or two words that you could probably could you know, guess what I'm communicating. But for the most part, it's if you're hearing a full conversation happening in the Jamaican language, you wouldn't be able to understand it unless you speak either an English-based Creole mm. that is similar to it. Mm-hmm. Or you yourself are Jamaican. So those are our two main languages. But in terms of our foreign main foreign language, Spanish is our main foreign language because there are so many Spanish-speaking countries. Cuba is our closest neighbor. Oh, okay. There's also the Dominican Dominican Republic, and there's you know Latin America, and the Spanish-speaking South American nations are so close to us. Mexico is also so close to us. So Spanish is definitely the next biggest language. For us to learn what was your travel experience like growing up when i i didn't leave the united states no i went to canada but i didn't leave north america until i was 22 or 23 i didn't travel across the no across an ocean did you do a lot of traveling uh, i did oh yeah i did um this is thanks to my mom because she is the globetrotter of my dreams. Like I, I wish I had the fearlessness that she had. Like she, she picked up herself, picked up herself at age twenty something. This is in the seventies, 
jumped on a plane, flew to Spain to visit her sister, and then just bought a Eurorail pass and just went all through the European nations. Like, she, she, she's been to more countries than I have. Wow. So when I was three, that was the first time I actually um, traveled. And I mostly traveled to the U.S. Okay. And that's because we have family there living in the U.S. Uh, but... When I got older, I, I caught that travel bug from my mom and started going to other places, flying to other places. And I think the first, well, I went to England when I was 10. Mm -hmm. We also have family there. Wow. Um, and then we, well, I've been to the Bahamas when my aunt lived there as well. Wow. <laughs> so different places in the Caribbean and also for at my university, we we used to do field research, mm -hmm. linguistic field research in South America, Guyana and Suriname in South America. Wow. And in order to get to South America, the easiest way is to fly through Trinidad because Trinidad is the closest nation, sorry, closest country, Caribbean island to South America. And then we also went to like uh, Dominica, the island of Dominica, because there, there's a Dominican Republic mm -hmm. that speaks Spanish and there's a Dominica, which is an English speaking Caribbean nation in the Lesser Antilles, do we say something? Eastern Caribbean, <laughs> in the Eastern Caribbean. <laughs> and so I, I'd flown to those smaller islands, but in terms of intercontinental travel, it was the US and then South America. And then I kind of caught the travel bug, as I said, and I did an exchange program in France where I went as an, an, an English language teacher, pretty much the same as an ALT here in Japan. I was in a high school. It was on the outskirts of Paris. So my stomping ground is Paris every weekend with my friends. Like wow. I have so many great memories from that. And my mom came and we went to visit her friend in Belgium. And then we, her friend in Bel her friend took us to Amsterdam wow. for a day. So, you know, different places. And from there, my, my, my goal, my travel goal of visiting, it used to be all seven continents. Mm -hmm. Now it's, the six human inhabited continents because I found out that tourism is not very good for Antarctica. It's kind of <sighs> destroying it. Uh, so ethically, I'd rather volunteer like on a, a scientific expedition <laughs> were I to one day be so rich that I could afford <laughs> to volunteer <laughs> for such an expedition. But uh, Can you talk a little bit about the research you did Mm -hmm. in South America? That's really interesting to me. What what kind of stuff were you doing? Sure. So when I was doing my master's degree, I decided to document a language spoken in Guyana. And it was not only spoken in Guyana, but in other parts of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And it's the Carib language. And this is the language, well, these are the people, sorry, after whom the Caribbean was named. Oh, wow. And because I had visited all of these different islands um, because of my university class field trips, there was one trip that we did and it was actually to visit an Arawakan community. That's another one of the native peoples of the Caribbean. And in Jamaica, Arawak, well, Lokono Arawaks were the original inhabitants of Jamaica, or one of the earliest inhabitants, recorded inhabitants of Jamaica. Wow. We went to a community, I think it was in Guyana, and we were interviewing some of the persons living there. 
And there was this one old lady, I guess she had, no, not guess, I know, she had actually married, she was Carib, but she had married an Arawakan man, and so she had moved to his community. And so though we were there to record the Arawakan language, which was Lokono, Mm -hmm. she was so excited to share her own language, and she was like, oh yes, this is how we say it in my language. So we're talking to the to the Lokono person, speaking persons, and she was responding and saying, this is always we say it in my language. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, my, it's such a pity because, you know, it wasn't really her language that we were there to document or to record or analyze for a class. It was this other language. And that little old lady left an impression. And so when I was trying to think of what to do for my master's, my professor was like, hey, I remember you were very interested in this little old lady. How about researching her language and I'm like hmm not a bad idea it did turn out to be a very challenging research I'm not going to sugarcoat it Mm. and that's part of why I even ran away to France because (laughs) it was that challenging I was like I need I need a break and I came back and just kind of regrouped and gripped my teeth and got through it but it was very interesting going to these communities and I would probably say this is the most adventurous, on a side note, aside from the language, but this was the most adventurous I'd ever been because some of these communities were really remote. Mm. And the only way to get there was by speedboat. And wow. then I would stay at these in these communities and the people were so kind, so welcoming. And I will never forget, there was one community that was only accessible by boats. Mm. And the children, the school children, they would come to this main area for school and then they'd jump in their canoes <laughs> and paddle home. That's so cool. <laughs> it was one of the most amazing things I had ever seen. And just going into the communities and recording the language was was very a very unique experience because this was a language that hadn't been documented as much as Lokono had been. And so just to even start (laughs) was challenging because one of the best ways to get speakers to speak naturally about their language is to have them tell a story. Mm. And while they're telling the story, they're saying all these different things. And then you say, okay, so can you explain to me what the story was about? Mm. And then they tell you the meaning of the story in English. So of course they're bilingual. And when they're explaining the meaning in English, you hear keywords. So you're like, okay, uh, this was a story about a man who went to the forest. I'm like, okay, how do you say man in your language? How do you say go in your language? How do you say forest in your language? And then if they say went to the forest, then I have to say, I have to ask, okay, how do you say is going? Mm. Went, will be going. And I get all of the, the variations within one particular word then so all the conjugations for verbs so it that was part of what made it really challenging it was having to you know basically start with all of this knowledge and then kind of you know analyze it down to the nitty-gritty to get all the details so before it got really really difficult was this a career path you were considering as far as being a researcher of 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 uh, maybe um, dying languages. Yes, 
It was. It was. It absolutely was. And the thing for me, too, is that I just, I really loved linguistics. Mm. I really enjoyed all my studies. And dying languages wasn't something that was on the syllabus. I don't recall it being on the syllabus. So this was a really new and exciting experience at the offset. <laughs> mm. But you got to do a lot of work. The the researching dying languages in a vacuum is very good. It's it's not that it's in it in and of uh, excuse me. It's not that it in and of itself is that challenging. Mm-hmm. What made it challenging was this language is what's called an, an agglutinating language. So it means that one word has so one sentence then a full sentence in English can be one word in that language. And so you'd have the verb, you'd have a prefix that tells you the tense of the verb, and another prefix that tells you the person. Then you have a suffix that tells you agency, or a suffix that tells you direction, or something like that. So just breaking all of that down was where the challenge lay. And what I found was happening with this language is that with each affix that was added to a morpheme Mm -hmm. so each affix that was added to a word Mm -hmm. it changed the pronunciation oh jeez that sounds difficult so there was more than one thing happening with it and uh, yeah that was where my my challenges (laughs) came from so you but you got through it and then you needed kind of a break Mm mm-hmm what made you interested in language teaching? Because that's a big difference being interested in learning a language and then being interested in researching a different language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, A lot of people might stick with one of those two paths. Uh, you know, teaching, when when did you seriously consider, oh, I, I, I want to teach a language to someone? Well, my teaching experience started when I was asked to become a TA. Okay. When I was doing my master's. And I realized that I actually liked it. And like I said, I had I had my, my French teacher who made that really strong impression on me when she walked in and she just, she, she changed. I was so determined to hate French <laughs> and I ended up falling in love with it. And it was because of a teacher, like that made an indelible impression on me. And I had another teacher who Dr. Kennedy, she even though there was a, she had a lecture class with us with over 100 or 100 and something students, almost 200 students, she knew us all by name. She knew our names. I was always so in awe of how she could see us on campus, walk past us and just say, hi, Tash. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Jonathan. Wow. And I'm like, oh, you know who we are? <laughs> like, wow. And even though for me, I try to remember my students' names and call them by name as much as possible. It's not, I don't, she, she clearly must have a really great memory, but I do, I do try to emulate her, but my love of teaching started there. And then I started with language teaching because I was teaching linguistics. I did Mm. small tutorial classes with students within linguistics. And then the foreign language department asked me to teach a French class as a part-time lecturer. And I taught a French course. It was it was a French linguistics course, basically. So it was taught in English. Hmm. And then when I went to France, 
that was where me teaching English really became something of interest to me. That's great. That that's a really cool story. I didn't. I actually didn't know. I mean, I've known you for about almost what fourth year now. I mm-hmm. didn't know that story. <laughs> that's really really cool. All right. Well, that, well, I know you're in Japan now, of course. Mm-hmm. So we should try to connect the dots there. Mm-hmm. So so when did you come to Japan for the first time, or why did you come to Japan for the first time? What's your what's your Japan story as far? Did you come for a bit and leave and come back, or did you come and stay? What what's the story there? Yeah. So I came to Japan in 2012 on the jet program. Uh. And this was two years after I had returned from France, and the entire time I was just thinking, "Oh my, I need a, I need another place to visit. Like this is not over." My I had that that wanderlust mm-hmm. bubbling up from within, and I realized that teaching while traveling was one of the most economical ways of seeing the world. Mm, for sure. And so, when I was in France, I was on an exchange program that was run through the Ministry of Education in France. Okay. And so it was a very official program. And so the opportunities were a lot better than persons who probably came through other means. I see. And I was hoping, I was looking for something similar. And so there are lots of different ways of getting to Japan. And actually Japan wasn't even on my radar at all. It was a colleague who had also gone to France on the same program who was like, we were talking and exchanging, you know, travel stories. And he said, hey, why don't you go to Japan? And I'm like, Japan? Hmm, I mean, I did want to go to Asia. Asia is one of the continents I wanted to see. And Japan, even though it's not on the actual continent, it's still technically in Asia. And it's close to Australia. I haven't yet been to Australia yet, John. <laughs> and it's my one oh, country. It's my one country remaining. <laughs> uh, but that's how I ended up. Uh, applying for the JET program. And I got through, I got through the, I applied in 2011 and I got through as an alternate, meaning if someone had fallen out, I would have been asked to take their place. Uh No one did. So I didn't get to come the first time I applied. And the second time I applied, I got through and came and I was in Kitakushu. Oh, really? Okay. And what, what age were you teaching? At that time, I was teaching senior high school. Okay. I was the only ALT at a senior high school. And this is actually how my presentation skills got to where they are right now. I, Well, my experience really harkens back to my linguistics days in terms of thinking differently of presentation software. But in terms of using it a lot in the classroom, that's where it started because my students were um, low level. So they were... Beginner, high beginner level English learners. I did get to teach intermediate classes after when they revamped the curriculum. And I had students who were, the school that I was at before I even continue was a very unique school. This was a school where students did not have a uniform. Okay. They were allowed to wear, you know, they could wear makeup, they could dye their hair, they could wear piercings. Hmm. And it was a shift system. So shift A, B, C. So morning, afternoon, and evening shift. And students could have part-time jobs. And so students basically, it was like a university. They showed up when they had classes and they left when they were through. Okay. I used to be so jealous of their freedom, (laughs) to be very (laughs) honest with you. I wished I could just show up and leave like them, but they had far more freedom than I did. And 
So the students who did the English class that I started out teaching, they chose the class as an elective. And kind of like me with French, there were many who showed up not wanting to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to find ways of making English learning exciting for them. And I did, you know, I did, oh my goodness, I did so many, so many class activities. I remember even when Pokemon Go came out, like I made a, a classroom-based Pokemon Go directions game wow. to help them learn how to give directions in English by using Pokemon Go as kind of a tool for them to learn that. So I, I did lots and lots of different things. So the creative juices were flowing and that's where I started with presentation software because I wanted to be able to, my teachers wanted me, so I had classes that I teach, I taught rather, mm -hmm. and there were classes that the JTEs would also invite me to, to, to help them mm -hmm. with a particular part of the lesson. And there was one JTE, she wanted me to explain about different parts of a lesson. For example, I spoke about Antarctica. I spoke about Mont Saint-Michel in France. That was, those were things that they were learning and she wanted me to talk to the students about these different places. However, I didn't want to just stand in front of the class and talk to the students because I would end up talking at the students who probably wouldn't have been able to understand most of what I was saying. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, if I had pictures, I could you know, show them the pictures and say, this is some Mont Saint-Michel. And they could look at it and see what I'm pointing at and they could hear what I'm saying. And so they could, even if they couldn't understand everything I was saying, they could understand it a little bit better because they were seeing what I was saying. I didn't have the opportunity to, to print all of these things and it would have been a waste because these were like one-off lessons. So I'm like, but I could do presentation software. I could do something in PowerPoint. And so I did a, I did various lessons where I basically had these speaking activities where well, rather listening activities because the students were listening mm -hmm. and I had all of the visuals on my slides and this school was one that I was so lucky because this is actually quite rare the school this type of school itself is rare yeah and, it sounds rare <laughs> and the opportunity to actually use presentation software in the classroom any kind of device in the classroom was also very rare for a high school for high school and so they had this giant monitor that you could, they had an elevator at the school because they had students with physical disabilities and it was a wheelchair accessible school. Mm -hmm. And so I would reserve because you had to reserve, you had, there was a reservation system for these giant screens. I'd reserve the screen and I'd wheel it <laughs> to the elevator and to the classroom and then hook up my personal laptop to it. And so I would give these talks basically about just a very short talk, maybe like five or seven minutes, but I'd have visuals accompanying them. And then I'd have, I was like, okay, but the students are just going to be listening. I didn't want them to only be listening. I want them to interact with it. So, all right, let's make it interactive. Maybe have some Q&A throughout. So I'm talking about Antarctica. Maybe I'll ask them what animals live in Antarctica and they can... I'll show them a picture of all the animals. And I say, what animals living in Antarctica? Raise your hands. Who says penguin? Raise your hands. Penguins living in Antarctica. Who says polar bears? Raise your hands. So 
things like that. And that's actually how much of what I'm doing right now started. Well, the paper is creating great PowerPoint and keynote presentations and teaching students to, to do the same. I'll put a link for this article on the, the website so people can read it if they haven't read it yet. So for these classes that you're teaching, how long does it take to make a presentation, for example, for a seven to 10 minute talk? That is actually a very good question. I think now that I'm so accustomed to it, I could, I could probably make one in less than a week. Mm-hmm. And this is a presentation that has a lot of photographs, that has a lot of interactive activities and kind of intuitive animations that help to bring home what I'm talking about. But back then, I think it took me maybe two weeks or more. Two weeks? Yes. <laughs> you and were such was... a hard worker. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How many of these talks did you have to do? Each, quite... each one took two weeks? Yes, yes, yes. And and this is this is really from concept. Oh my gosh. So from, from, the, from the JTE <laughs> asked me, I had to sit down and think about what I was going to say and then think about how I'm going to represent that on a slide and then how am I going to make it interactive? I've listen, I've created wow. presentations before that maybe I should maybe I should preface by saying it doesn't take two full weeks as in it's not literally two right full right weeks. I get you I get you what but. I do is I'd, I'd spend maybe 15 minutes today and then tomorrow I'd spend maybe 45 minutes on this particular part and maybe the following the day after that I didn't do anything with it but it would I would have to start like really early out but yeah it would take me quite a while to think about how I'd represent something on a slide were you creating these at home or were you creating them at school? Both. I, I tried as much as possible, though, to do most of my work at school. Mm-hmm. And so I would have my downtime. So the JTEs, you would come up to me and they'd ask me to team. It's called team teaching, to team mm-hmm. teach with them. And I would talk with them, kind of flesh out the idea, you know, flesh out what exactly it is they wanted me to do. And then go to my computer screen and open up PowerPoint and start throwing things in there. I eventually made the, I made I made a transition from PowerPoint to Keynote. I, I I almost exclusively use Keynote now, but I started out in PowerPoint. How were you received? Because when I first came to Japan, it was it was it was fine because I was living kind of near Yokohama. I don't remember any issues. And then then my wife and I moved to Australia. Then five five years later, we moved back to her hometown, Kumamoto. And that was way different. And actually, Kumamoto is, is extremely different than Fukuoka. I mean, Kumamoto, people are just staring at you all the time. It actually <laughs> still bothers me now. Even I, I, I've gotten used to it. As my <laughs> Japanese has gotten better, I've gotten a little bit used to it. Mm-hmm. But, but just the difference between Kumamoto and Fukuoka... And Fukuoka to Yokohama is your first stop was Kitakyushu. I guess we can talk about it later if you went to different places after that. But what what was it like getting adjusted to sort of, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to Kitakyushu really. I never. I haven't spent a lot of time there, mm-hmm. so I can't really. I don't know how to compare it. But there's definitely a difference in the stare factor. For example, <laughs> I'd be walking down the street and someone would stare at me just a little bit too long. Uh-huh. Where if it was America, it was it was either you know me or you want to fight me kind of look. 
and then and then it, and then I and then I equated it to oh it's it's like I'm 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 an exhibit at at a, at a museum. It's like that's what it, the stare is. If there's no emotion, it's not like hi, how are you doing? It's just sort of like I'm what looking at the, yeah, I'm looking at this exhibit and uh, and I'm examining it. Anyway, uh, yeah, let's we should come back to anyway. The paper is uh, creating great PowerPoint and keynote presentations and teaching students to do the same. Before we get into uh, the presentation stuff, let's just quickly, let, let's go through your teaching career. So you were at a high school. I know you were at a kindergarten um, and now, right. you're at uni- now you're at university. That's pretty unique. Um, did, you, did you teach any other ages while you're in Japan? Yes. Actually, I've taught literally all the way from kindergarten to university and I've also taught adults. That's amazing. And for the kindergartners, when I started, I taught kindergartners elementary and junior high school at my job just before this one at Q-Sendai. Mm-hmm. And when I was teaching these age ranges, I actually was in charge of pioneering the town's very first program for the kindergartners. Wow. And up until this point, I had ne- the, the youngest I had taught before I came to Japan was the same high school level, mm-hmm. same as like in France. And so high school was the youngest I'd ever taught. And so young learners and teaching English to young learners who were learning it as a foreign language for the very first time, I was really, at first I felt very in out of my depth, like what am I going to teach them? I have no background, no training, nothing in this. And so I kind of just went back to my own education Mm -hmm. and started with the basics, so like the alphabets and uh, colors, animals, and all these different things. And then I wanted to make their their English classes more focused. And my goal ultimately became to be able to have them listen to me, read a story to them entirely in English, and be able to understand the story. Wow, that's great. And so I had this storybook that was all in English, and I simplified the information in the storybook. And I took all the key vocabulary that they needed to know and made sure that they learned it over the course of the academic year. And so these key vocabulary think, words were words like friend and animals and fruits and vegetables and going up or going down and all these all these different words that they needed to know and incorporated those words into their different lessons and by the very end, I know that the, t- the teachers especially were very impressed because the kids were interacting with the story. And of course, they were talking in Japanese and I was speaking in English and the kids were listening to the story and they were so excited and very, very happy. And the teachers were kind of just like, oh, my goodness, you're actually understanding what she's saying. Like, wow. So I was really very happy about that particular time in my life teaching. It was, it was three kindergartens. Too. It was two two public and one private kindergarten. Wow. That's, that's really, that's really cool. Um, all right. Well, let's, again, if people want to read the paper, uh, we're not going to discuss all that. This is a really great paper to read. Um, again, that you got some great sections, for example, tips for academics, students making great presentations, 10 presentation, presentation do's and don'ts, which is fun teaching PowerPoint skills to students, um, challenges encountered. So I would recommend everyone to read this paper. Again, it's cre- creating great PowerPoint and keynote presentations and teaching students to do the same. Um, I'd also recommend for people to attend a presentation by Lisa if you have a chance and 
And now that we're online, that's it's easier to do. You've been kind of active in the past couple of weeks. I know there's a bit of a time lag when this podcast will come out. Um, but can you talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've been doing with um, Cotessel and UWI? Is that is that your um, your alma mater? My alma mater. That's right. So what were you doing at a, a Cotessel? You were doing was it a diversity panel? So I did a diversity panel, and that was for opening night. So I was on the panel for opening night, and oh. it was basically just talking about my experiences teaching and what, well, it was really to talk about my thoughts on the future of TESOL and also with my thoughts, my hopes for it. And so I spoke about my own experiences and teachers who influenced me, like I spoke about earlier, and also about me wanting to see more diversity in TESOL as well. And what about the webinar? So I had two, well, I had a webinar with my university, that's the University of the West Indies. In mm-hmm. The University of the West Indies is the main university or the biggest university that is based in the Caribbean. And we have three campuses. There's one in Jamaica, one in Trinidad, and one in Barbados. And of course, I went to the one in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And I they were having a lot of webinars last year, and I participated in them and then ended up being invited to do my own webinar with them. And it was on presentation design basics. Mm -hmm. And it was literally the same thing as same information as I have in the paper. Mm. So how to design slides to make the information that we present to our audience more effective. And by audience, it could be students, it could be board members, it could be your superiors, it could be your peers. So having it be pretty wide, but broad then, but that being having that be the having on your audience understanding what you're saying being the main focus of the presentation and how to make your slides look a lot better, basically. And, and what then, about the oh go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. And then with Cotisol, I I did presentation design from the perspective of making activities more interactive for students. Uh. And so sharing just how you can turn an activity, just like I explained earlier, where my students, I was doing a listing activity with all these pictures, but I wanted them to interact with it. How could I do that? Well, I could have question and answer sections where they, I could ask them, which animal lives in Antarctica? Penguin, raise your hands. So that's what I introduced to the audience members from Cotisol. And can you talk a little bit about... Um your, I don't know, is your website, your, mm-hmm. your project, uh, Yad, Yad Pikni? <laughs> That's right. So Yad is Y-A-A-D, and it's how we Jamaicans say Jamaica in mm-hmm. our Jamaican language. And Yadi is a Jamaican, fun oh, fact. Okay. And Pikni means child in our language. So Yad Pikni is Jamaican child. And P- Pikni is P-I-K-N-I. And I started my business based in Japan last year actually and it's a present it's primarily presentation design business so it's really to help persons I'm 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 hoping to have workshops very soon on how to create really great presentations so there are persons who have attended my webinars or my workshops and I've done so many even with JALT and Cotisol before and lots of different workshops here and there, even with the JET program, on how to design great presentations. But 
what I'm hoping for, or aiming to do, I should say, is really to have more focused workshops through my business where attendees can actually open PowerPoints or open keynotes and try out some of these things and get feedback right then and there. So they have a direct attention, basically, focus attention on what it is that they want to learn. And I also do presentation creation or redesign where persons have a presentation that they've created or they want to do something for a conference and they want to have someone else make it for them or they need help with making it look better. And so I can do that for them as well. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, I, woof, I like that. Let's promote that. <laughs> Yad Pickney. So if you, if you are, you know, in research hell, and you got a presentation coming up <laughs> and you know, I can you make your presentation you, for you. Yes. Wow. You got somebody who can, who's a specialist. That is really cool. What, what made you think about that idea? Just that, just kind of like what I said, like people get time crunched and, or is it just you being an expert of presentations and, and not being overly critical, but you, you go to a lot of presentations and you can say, well, this, this presentation could be better this way and this way. What kind of made you think about, think about that kind of gap or that business opportunity? Well, at first, I didn't. I never even thought of the business opportunity. I mean, I did attend presentations, and sometimes I think, "Oh man, there's just so much to read on the slide. I wish I could see everything." Mm, but the presenter yeah. isn't saying everything, and uh, you know, using that as the the guidelines, some of the guidelines for the things that I have, even in the article as well. That's the biggest mistake. Just too much mm-hmm. text on, and yes. every, it just happens. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. If you, you know, I I read your stuff, and I and I've seen um, some of your presentations. But just to be honest, if you go on YouTube and you say like top three tips for making a good presentation, mm-hmm. number one, too much text on a slide. Mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, and it's like that's mm-hmm. the number one mistake that yes. everyone advocates for and you just continue i i went to this presentation i'm not going to say where a couple years ago mm-hmm. and there was so much text on the slide it it, it was like i was reading a, a paper i was like <laughs> well i can read the paper i don't need i didn't come here to read the paper like yes. i came here to listen to you and then you need to put some visuals or something it hurts my eyes it's too far away it's distracting and then i'm frustrated because mm-hmm. i can't read it it's it's really not a good look for yes. a presentation to have too much text on a slide. It's why I I always say it's important <laughs> for presenters to remember that the presenter is is really the main person that the audience member came to to hear from, or mm. to understand any you know to understand what is happening with this particular paper. I find that the presenters are sometimes so wrapped up in wanting to give the audience all of this information or even just not knowing where to start off mm, with making yeah. the slides that is a copy and paste that happening that happens and so the from the presenter's perspective the, the presentation becomes presenter centered as opposed to audience centered it's not digestible for the audience i can i can see that because i kind of went through the same thing um mm-hmm. in the past three years the first time I did a presentation, I wasn't really confident. And so I put a lot of text to guide myself. Yes. And yes. it's like, oh, like you, exactly what you just said. You're doing it for yourself. Like it's, it's, it's for you almost. So you yes. can get through it, Yes. but it's not to convey information. So I think what you're saying is like, you know, with, with the Yad Pickney, you can help people to, to help them make that transition if they don't have a lot of experience or a lot of confidence. So I think it's really cool what you're doing. 
And um, thank you. I mean, it's uh, I like it myself too. <laughs> well, what, let's let's end with this. What made you decide to create these uh, Jamaican language videos? Now that part was the lingu- the linguist in me, having watched all of these TV shows, and mm-hmm. also knowing that there are so many Jamaicans who don't realize that we have we, so many of us are bilingual and we don't even realize it. We just say English and bad English, but it's really English and the Jamaican language. It's not bi- bad English. Yeah, it's bilingual. <laughs> bad, bad bad English. Oh, bad. Okay. That's bad. Yes, bilingual. Yes, yes. Like, no, no, okay, no, no, okay. No. okay. Okay. Bad English. Okay. And it's not bad English. It's a different language entirely. It has its own grammatical system and i started making the videos because i had watched marvel's luke cage i am a superhero nerd i watched marvel's luke cage and oh my gosh it was real the jamaican was so bad (laughs) it was was cringy for every jamaican out there it was so cringy (laughs) and what you find happening is that jamaicans will hear it and it's cringeworthy but they don't know why ah so you were explaining that I was explaining that. I was explaining. So this is this is ungrammatical because we don't <laughs> conjugate. We don't we don't mark tense in Jamaican like this. This is how English marks tense. In Jamaican, we mark tense like this. Or this word, we don't mark plurality like this. Instead, in Jamaican, we mark plurality like this. So that was really where that started. And then it was, well, if I'm going to in- talk about the grammar, why not talk about the writing system? And why not talk about this or that? So I do hope to make more videos. It's just the time. That's a challenge because they do take, it takes, a, it takes a while to sit down and think of the concept. Same as when, back when I was first starting out with presentation design, to sit, sit down and think of the concept, write out a script then record it, then go in and edit it myself. Like all of that mm. is, it's quite the undertaking. And you're also passionate about hair. Oh my goodness. I, I'm so- <laughs> <laughs> I so uh, uh, Chris, the, yes. uh, the other, the other person who does the interviews, um, he's mm-hmm. met you as, as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he, he remembered the highlights of the conversation. He said there was a lot of conversation about hair. He learned a lot about hair. Oh, wow. And, oh, and you also, I, I, I think in Yad Pickney, there's something about hair in the description as well, isn't there? <laughs> That's right. Natural <laughs> hair enthusiast. Yes. Because the, the thing about the thing about black hair, and, my, and I'm meaning black with a, with a capital B, is that, like, um, was it Yale, I think, that came up with a study recently that showed that there is such a thing as hair discrimination? And this is something that a lot of black women know of from a long time before, but seeing it recognized on an official level through all of this research has been really validating. And what you find happening is that people don't realize that they have intrinsic biases about appearances. And oh, part of that is about Black people's hair. And hmm. Black women, because we grow our hair long, so Black women and any you know Black, black girl, Black woman, or any Black boy or Black man who grows his hair long, experience discrimination because of our hair texture and the look of our hair, basically. And what the research is finding is, or or unearthing or shining a light on, Mm. is that you find that there are a lot less educational and professional opportunities for Black girls and women because there is so much 
discrimination against us just on the basis of our hair. Wow. And it's it's so asinine that something that grows from my scalp is something that people, you know, someone could use from within and outside of our community to decide that they are not going to hire us. Or in Jamaica, last year, there was a case of a five-year-old girl who had locks and the school was going to ban the little girl from being enrolled. I think in you posted something about on mm-hmm. Facebook. I think I read that. They were going to ban her and and the, from the school just because she had locks. It was cut your locks or you're not going to be able to attend our school. And so the mother, the, sorry, the parents took it to court and our high court ruled that this was not a violation of the child's constitutional rights. And I was just so hurt and upset. I was very angry about it. But this also harkens back to exactly what I just said. You know, we, our hair, it's you, no one, no one thinks about hair except us. We have to, it's something that we agonize over a lot. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm passionate about talking about hair in so many different realms. So, yeah. Well, and also, if you if you run into Lisa at a conference when the world goes back to normal, there's no one better talking about you know movies or television shows. <laughs> Actually, there's a show that I watched recently, and I was gonna I was gonna text you and mm-hmm. ask your opinion about it, but I thought maybe her husband's not gonna like this, like, <laughs> because because we're in the COVID world. Like, if it was The Office, I would just like go over to your desk and say, "Hey, let me talk about this show." But it's like if you're like hanging around with your husband, you're getting these late night texts. Because that's when I watch TV, late at night. Right? When uh-huh. yes, works yes. right? So like 1130 at night and I'm texting you. <laughs> oh, what do you think about the – the what's the show I just watched? The, the something behind her eyes? Oh, my goodness. Um, behind behind her eyes. Behind her eyes, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I was, also watched which it. Was, which was, it was cool. Good. And I, yes. I kind of wanted to talk to you because it's kind of like a, a Haunting of Hill House vibe. Yes. Yes, a bit, you know, like there, there's old English forest. If there's an old English forest with an old well, I'm in. <laughs> I'm just up. in. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care what the show is. I'm, I'm down. So, anyway, uh, that you're a fun person to talk about that stuff. And again, the paper, mm-hmm. and again, I'll post the link on the website, lostincitations.com, is creating great PowerPoint and keynote presentations and teaching students to do the same. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on Lost in Citations. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I really had a great time. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.